Welcome to episode 22 on match day 22 of the Qatar World Cup. My name is Chris in the Ultimate Football Show podcast. Today with special guests John Gus Ferguson and Peter Gleeson who are both over in Qatar watching the action live. They join us on the podcast today as well as Gary Chivers as we look forward to the third place playoff between Croatia and Morocco who both failed in their bids to get to the final losing in the semi-finals as they did up against probably better teams and certainly up against some great goal scorers. We're very happy to support the lilywhitefoundation.com advancing young people through sport. For more information visit lilywhitefoundation.com. I'm Gary Chivers and this is the Ultimate Football Show podcast. So we've spoken to John Gus Ferguson many times now through the episodes here in the Ultimate Football Show podcast. It's been great to catch up with him. Massive Tottenham Hotspur fan and he joins us once again to talk about the World Cup in Qatar and the, the excitement that it's been. And he's joined by Peter Gleeson, who's an avid Manchester United fan and season ticket holder. And the two guys went to the first semi-final, Argentina and Croatia. Uh, Gus, Peter, thanks very much for joining us. Tell us, first of all, what was the atmosphere like in the Argentina-Croatia game? Because it looked fantastic, like even look, two hours before kickoff. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, um, great to be joining you live from uh, the nice, warm and sunny um, climbs of Qatar. I hope, it, yeah. I hope Europe's treating you well. It was wonderful, actually. The We can't speak highly enough of the atmosphere here, the positivity of everything, the way everything's organised. It's been incredible, hasn't it, please? Yeah, very impressed. Right away from arriving at the, the main international airport, getting straight through, getting a SIM card given to you, uh, straight into a rack of very clean cabs, straight into the town centre, and uh, and then get into the ground. Very easy, very simple. I'm jumping in a, a, a cab or, or getting a fantastic metro. Um, it's been brilliant. So uh, been made to feel very welcome, very safe, very happy indeed. I mean, the the build up before the game, we arrived probably about an hour and a half, two hours, just close to two hours before kickoff. Right. Outside the stadium, you've got the the drums and the bands and the, you know, it's a real party atmosphere everywhere. Uh, a huge Argentinian support last night. I mean, yeah. it, it was it was eighty percent Argentine, and everyone was yeah, it was great natured. The fans are all kind of mixing, and and there's you know it's it, it's it's what football should be about. You know, moving away from all the the negative stuff at the beginning of the tournament. I think the tournament has come alive in terms of football, and it's been a great spectacle. And then, of course, we were treated to uh, Lionel at his best. Well, absolutely. I mean, normally those semi-finals they can be cagey affairs, and nobody wants to commit. Nobody wants to make the first mistake. In the end, Croatia made the first mistake, but it was after about twenty minutes, twenty-five or so. And and Argentina just steamrolled them, didn't they? They they they. You could see the difference, whether it was in the mentality or the physicality, or just the technique, that Argentina were just much better on the night than Croatia, pretty much from the start. I think so. I think 
for me, the game started off quite slowly, and and I think it was Peter. You said this has nil nil written all over it, but um, it, you know, after you're right, Chris. After about twenty minutes, the the technical side certainly of Argentina was was showing through, and as the game wore on, for me, you could see that the Croatian side just didn't have any cutting edge, and also I think age was coming into play as well. As John said, I thought nil nil uh, after the first fifteen twenty minutes. And, uh, and I thought the goal would uh, hopefully bring the game to life and, and bring Croatia out more. But I think it just showed the, the difference between the two sides. And it meant that, you know, Argentina just pressed the foot down. And, and I think the crowd really helped. I mean, uh, the crowd, everyone around us, we were in a, a neutral area, but everyone around us was Argentina. But it was all very good natured. There was a handful of Croatians. It was brilliant nature. But... The crowd got behind them, and then I just think they put their, their foot to the gas. And at half time, it was really game over in my mind. We had some Argentina, uh, Argentinian fans with us uh, who were still very worried at half time and very nervous, and could see, you know, on the back of the Dutch game, I think they were, yeah. they could see if, if Croatia scored a fairly early goal in the second half, it would get nervy. But I think, you know, once the third goal went in, I mean, that, that run from Messi, you know, along the byline. Picking out Alvarez, you know, who had the easiest of chances basically to finish. You put it on a plate, and uh, yeah. um, at that stage, it was dead and buried, and um, uh, I think it was game over. You, you were sitting. Uh, you sent me some photos and some videos as well. It was really exciting to see just in the lead up to the the kickoff itself. Thanks for that. Which end were you? The the end where they where Argentina scored the first half, or where Messi laid that one up for the second half goal? No, we, we so we were quite close to where the first half where the penalty. Right. So, and I know there were Argentinian fans around you. You could see that on, on, on the video. When Alvarez made that 60-yard run or what, maybe even 70 yards, it was almost like a, you know, a running back in the NFL. He picked, picked it up halfway from, from Messi and kept going and going and going. There must have been a terrific atmosphere around you when that ball went into the net because everyone was expecting him to pass it at some stage. He kept going and going and finished it off himself. An incredible you know, solo goal in, in a big World Cup semi-final. I think you're right. And I think uh, a lot of people around us were so excited and, and it, it, it brought your memories almost back to a, a not quite a strong Maradona goal where he just kept going and going and going against England and hoped he did Now, different class of goal, but yeah, I mean, they. I think then they realised that, uh, that they'd got it. They were still nervous, as John said, because of the uh, the Dutch game but uh, and, and Saudi, but yeah, they were... They were very excited by that stage, and uh, and uh, yeah, they knew they were on their way to the final. There was there was a difference. I, I, I what you noticed, especially sort of after about the first half an hour, was that the the tackles were strong from Argentina. The the passing was crisp. The technical side of it was was a different class, and they've really come into the tournament from such a nervy start. And you could see also, I think they realised that. Croatians just didn't really have any threat up front. They didn't have a striker. And, and we were looking around going, that's where they're missing. They've got no one running in behind uh, like an Alvarez to, to get on the end of it. And yeah. and they didn't really look like a threat unless from 25 yards. There was a couple of times that Perisic got forward and put a ball in, but there was just nobody there. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? I was looking at the stats yesterday and Croatia had won one game in the World Cup to get to the semi-final. 
You know, they, they've gone through on penalties. Uh, they they battled hard from midfield and defence. They don't have anyone up front. And it just shows you, if you stick together as a team, sometimes that is far more important than having a Messi or an Mbappé or Harry Kane or whoever it may be in your side. As a team, it's, for these international games, it can be so important. Who would have thought Argentina would be in the final having been beaten by Saudi Arabia in the first game. You know, it's, it's an incredible situation that those two teams found themselves in. Well, I'll, I'll take you back, Chris, to when we uh, when we did the first recording back in London a few weeks ago. And uh, I think I, from the depths of my memory, didn't I tip Argentina? I think you did, yeah. You you had been very clever at the time, though, weren't you? Because you, <laughs> you, cause you we, knew the results. I didn't know the results then. <laughs> we, we said... Um, we we said that it, in the past it's been messy and some other people and now it's messy and a lot of good other people. Yeah, yeah, that's um, what we said. Yeah, we yeah, and and I think that's right. You know, uh, there are some really good players in that Argentinian side, and you know, obviously we've got our own Spurs defender Romero's in there who looked very solid last night, um, and you know, didn't give them give give them a bite. Actually, well, let's talk about some of the, the individuals because you're Tottenham, Peter's Man United. So we'll talk about some of your players from the tournament. From Tottenham's point of view, obviously there's disappointment for England against France. We said it was Harry against Hugo, and Hugo got the the better of him. Uh, but what's you know, have any Tottenham fl- players really shown up that you said, "Wow, they've they've done more than I thought," or have they been pretty much as you would expect in this World Cup? Well, I always get slammed for being quite negative about Tottenham, as you know, Chris, and um, Peter's quite always on me about my negativity. But I think, for me, Romero looked very solid last night and he's looking, you know, hopefully that he comes back from this break, um, look, you know, ready and fit to go again on Boxing Day. Um, you had Richardson, uh, you know, I thought he was outstanding for Brazil and I, I can only see him getting better for us at, at the Tottenham. Uh, other than that, no one's really stood. I mean, Hugo, he's, he's still a world-class keeper and, and he's, you know, he's going to be in a semi-final tonight and he, he potentially could be, the, I think, the first captain to lift back-to-back World Cups. So, um, yeah. you know, you know that, that, would be, that would be a great way for him to bow of a great career. I think you go back to 2018 when we probably were littered with Spurs players throughout the World Cup. I, I can't actually think of, you know, too many. We were going through it last night. And I think Man United are up there with 11 players, I think it was. Well, I can't believe you haven't, more. you haven't nicked Modric out of that. So, well, he used to play for Tottenham and he was brilliant, but so well done for leaving Modric out. Yeah, Mod- Modric was super class. And, and you know, he was, he'll always go down as a, as a legend at Tottenham. He was a great player to watch. And Peter, Manchester United, what about those players? I've been very harsh on Harry Maguire. I've got to admit, before the tournament, you know, I said he shouldn't be playing. He played much better for England than he has done recently at Old Trafford. I mean, he's got John Stones next to him at England. Is that the difference as, as a Manchester United fan? What would you say? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was interesting. We were talking last night. Going into the quarterfinals, so uh, eight teams, there was 11 United players in those 11 teams. There was 11 City players, and then it dropped down then to Madrid and Paris and, and others. So, you know, top 11 players. Unfortunately, now in the semifinals, there's only two in uh, our central defenders of Martinez at Argentina and uh, who didn't play and uh, Varane at uh, France. But I think when you look at the other players that have played throughout the tournament, uh, Casemiro I think has done well in, in the Brazil team. I've been disappointed a bit with Anthony and um, Fred. 
But I think in the England side, I've been really pleased with the three, with with um, Rashford, with Shaw and with Harry Maguire. I'm a huge Maguire fan, as you can imagine. Yes, he's had a difficult time for the last season and a half. Yes, he's been slated. But he's, there's, you know, and you can say he lacks a bit of pace. He's a good, strong, traditional defender. I like him a lot. I'm very pleased that, you know, he's our club captain and he shone. And I think with him, you know, I, I heard your podcast at the start and I heard the conversations and I wanted to shout, look, they need one game. He needs one game and to have a good performance and the confidence flows through. And that's what happened, has happened, will happen with United. I think that's what happened with England. It's all in the mind. And, and with the confidence going through, if he goes back to United and over Christmas has two or three good games, clean sheets I'd love to see him play uh, over Christmas and um, and get his uh, confidence back Rashford I think was fantastic I was gutted that Southgate didn't bring him on from instead of Mount uh, with half an hour to go because I think he could have made a difference rather than coming on with about two minutes to go and Shaw was just solid as he always was so I've been happy with the England guys disappointed with the Brazilians I'm happy that you were shouting at me at the podcast it means I'm doing something right or totally wrong either way it's always a good response isn't it? get get a response from the listener no you're making a mistake oh, yeah, yeah that's what you want the sale stadium last night I have to say it was world class it's world class and um and you know you look at the free infrastructure they've done for this world cup and these players are coming out here and as Peter said, you know, teams just need one good game with the crowds behind them. And and I just think the tournament has, has brought out some of the best players and made some players look great. You know, we've seen some of the Saudi players looking fantastic in, in defence, you know, giving it their heart. We've seen some of the Ecuador players, Costa Rica players, teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And they've all yeah. had someone shine and, and someone... There's been some great results in this tournament. And, you know, who, who would have predicted Morocco into the semi-final? Exactly. And finally, before we let you go and enjoy a bit more of the sunshine over there, I can't believe it's minus six over here or something ridiculous. <laughs> um, it's before we let you go and enjoy that and a nice uh, bit of food as well, I'm sure. Just a quick word on the stadium. Obviously, Tottenham, as you say, Gus, have got the best stadium in the world. I'm not sure Old Trafford's been quite kept to its uh, best over the past few years. So from both of your point of view, Peter, we'll start with you first of all. How how did you find the stadium in, in Qatar? Was it as beautiful and shiny and sparkly as it looks like on the TV? It is, but it's not just the stadium. I think it's the way they handled it, the way they handled the crowd in a very friendly manner. Uh, the security services that were there on handby, but standby, but, but weren't called upon. I thought it was brilliant. And, and just the number of gates that they were going through for ticket, ticket checks to get within 200 metres of the ground. You know, there wasn't just a dozen. There was hundreds of these areas. So there was never a queue. You walked into the ground without queuing. I've never been to a ground in years where you can just, probably Peterborough United, when, when the last time <laughs> I went to, when you walked into a ground without having a queue. And, and the same when you came out. Yes, you were put round to get back to the metro sort of thing, but you got straight onto the trains. It was very well organised, almost Germanic in its organisation and brilliant. So not just the stadium, the way in which they staffed it was very good. I think at Peterborough, they were queuing to get out, but it's another, that's another, <laughs> that's another podcast. And, and, and Gus, would you swap the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for the loose sale iconic stadium at any time? No, I wouldn't. But I mean, I think Peter's absolutely right. What? What impressed was the organisation 
uh, you know, the number of the female security staff, you know, which just made everyone at ease. So, uh, you know, a lot of the speculation of, you know, how how genders are treated in e- unequally in this part of the world, you know, it wasn't at all. It was all very, you know, very good. And as Peter said, you know, hundreds of entrances and, and just the organisation was fantastic. It was slick. There was not a single problem. You know, outside the seats were, were perfectly nice and the stadium's shiny and sparkly. And it's, and it's a good stadium. But I think the trouble is when you get to these international games where, yeah, of course, there were a handful of Argentinian, genuine Argentinian fans. But, you know, the vast majority of the stadium are not Argentinian. And you don't get the kind of same... This is a World Cup semi-final and you don't get the kind of crackling atmosphere that you would do perhaps at a... At a, at a tournament or a game where it's being held with genuine, genuine fans. Yeah. But I can't fault it. I, I, you know, the, the facilities under the concourse, for example, uh, you know, they're, they're not perhaps quite up to the Tottenham Stadium, but it wasn't far short. It was, it was pretty damn good. And, um, you know, as I say, you, we, we've got literally nothing other than positive feedback on the way that the people are here, the tournament's being handled. You know, we've been out for a walk around the city centre and everyone's friendly and smiling and happy. And Lovely stuff. Uh, Gus Ferguson, big Tottenham fan. Peter Gleeson, big Manchester United fan. Thanks so much for joining us live there from Qatar. And we'll speak to you ahead of the final. I know you're going to the final as well. And we'll have a look at that with you. We'll even preview and get a couple of selections. It's been great speaking to you. Thanks for your time today. As ever, Chris. Thanks. Thank you. You're listening to the Ultimate Football Show podcast with Gary Chivers and Chris Barnett. So we've heard from the guys over in Qatar who went to the semi-finals and got a good taste of the atmosphere in that country and in the cities around Doha. We're going to speak to Gary Chivers now once again as he joins us for the third place playoff which takes place on Saturday between Croatia and Morocco uh, and Gary those those uh, semi-finals in the end the class one through although Croatia and Morocco built their success getting so far on teamwork but at the end of the day individuals from Argentina and France decided the semi-finals didn't they? Yeah, and it's also, uh, you need goal scorers, Chris, and, and, and none of them teams have got a recognised goal scorer who, who's yeah. going to come up with a goal. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, that's why they, they go in the transfer market for more money than it, what other players are. Um, but they both, I mean, I think, I think Morocco has done unbelievably well to be where they are and, yeah. and, and gotten as far as they... I think they've already started partying, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, so, but, but even to finish fourth um, in this tournament is a, an outstanding achievement. Croatia side, like you said, if they had, if they had a decent, a decent centre forward, mm. that have done, yeah, a lot better. Yeah, because they're, it's based on midfield, isn't it? Croatia, basically. Great midfield, pretty solid defence as well. Morocco is just based on teamwork and, and in the semi-final, they had three players that all thought were going to miss out, all had late tests to see if they could play. They all played, but they all came off early with injuries, and, and including the cap, captain, Saiz. And you can't lose three players from a team like that when, when it's a team ethic. It was just one game too many for them. Yeah, the, the, the manager, I suppose, should have stopped uh, 
probably stopped them from playing, really. It, it's, your, it's your heart, and it, you're, you're in the first time they've ever been in a semi-final of the World Cup. You've got to be playing in it. And they mm. obviously let their heart rule their head. And the manager's done exactly the same thing and, and trusted his players. But all three of them were injured. They shouldn't have been playing from the start. Made, made the job a lot difficulter. Um, obviously, the World Cup is, is a great showcase for players. You've got players like Hekini, who's already at Paris Saint-Germain. So you wouldn't imagine him having to go anywhere because he's already a really big club. But uh, the captain, Saiz, as I say, got injured in the quarterfinal, played a little bit in the semi, but he's been monumental for them. And uh, Abramat, the guy in midfield, who's won all of those possessions back, those can, those two in particular, they're going to attract attention, aren't they? I, th- I think a lot of players have been moving, Chris. Abramat, like you, you said, was outstanding. Mm. And, and and the work he gets through uh, during a game. And he's he's one of these guys that, 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 that closes down, he chases the ball, he wins the ball, and he just pops it off easy. Mm. Reminds me uh, reminds me of a little bit of Nangola Kanti for, for, for Chelsea. He just does the simple thing, doesn't lose the ball, but works ever so hard. He plays a bit like Makaleli as well because he was a very easy, easy on the eye. He wasn't winning balls yeah. back and laying off yeah. like five, ten yards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, Makaleli just used to uh, play in front. I'll tell you what, I wish I had Makaleli when I played. Well, they actually moved Ron Harris into a, um, a, a defensive midfield player in the, in the latter stages of, of his career. He was mm. brilliant in there, like a Makaleli. He just right. stopped everything before it got to you. Unfortunately, he had to then also replace the ball after it was split in two when he put his studs <laughs> through it. <but. laughs> he gets everything that moved. He was great. Everyone stayed away from him. Everyone stayed away from him. Brilliant. Uh, and what about Hakim Ziyech? We've spoken about him many times on the podcast. He's not really had a chance, uh, certainly under Graham Potter at Chelsea. He had a few chances under Thomas Tuchel, and he was patchy to say the least but he hasn't played a lot for Potter obviously Italian teams were interested in taking him in January is this the time now for Chelsea to cash in because his his fee's going to go up isn't it after that World Cup he said because a lot of what Morocco did came through him yeah he, he, he was the star man you've got to say Hakim Ziyech but I, I think he's one of these players Chris that just loves to be loved you know yeah. and, 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 and he didn't play particularly well for the last Moroccan manager um, who, who put him on the subs bench and, and, and didn't play him. All mm. of a sudden, he, he likes to he likes to have the man in charge that believes in him and lets him play. And it, they've certainly done that with Morocco. That they've, they've, they've hit the right note with him and you've got to be able to get on with him. He's very, very temperamental, but he's a, he's a good, skillful player. And yeah. his price his price has probably doubled. Yeah, so you you can imagine the way Chelsea are dealing at the moment, trying to get the youngest 22, 23-year-olds and maybe and even younger, that he might be on his way out in January, certainly in, in the summer, if not uh, already in the, in the winter. Now, this game comes up as a third-place playoff, which, of course, is not the game anybody really wants to play in because it means you're not going to win anything particularly. Nobody cares about a bronze medal, third place or fourth place, really, except for the families probably of the players that are in it. But Croatia haven't got a goal scorer. We know they've got a great midfield and, and they need to step up to score goals if Croatia are going to win this. Morocco haven't really got a goal scorer. They've got that young kid, 
that, that, that played up front and, and did quite well for them. Uh, it's El Nesri, he scored a couple of goals. But they've got injuries now, and it's a third-place playoff, and those injured players won't probably step up and, and test themselves again and get injured again. So how do you see this game going? Could it be quite a low-scoring game where... Morocco haven't really got the energy left and haven't got the star players left available to them. And Croatia, for all their working midfield, haven't got any goal scorers. I mean, you mentioned that Croatian midfield that have been absolutely unbelievable because they, mm. they, they've been the main people that scored, that scored the goals for the for their team. Do you know what? It's a great chance. I think it's a great chance for the managers to give the squad players because there's, there's nothing on the game. I know finishing third or finishing fourth um, would, wouldn't really mean a lot to to a player, but it'd be a, a great chance. And I think both managers um, will see sense and probably play the, the, the players that haven't played. So mm. them three, them three that are injured for Morocco, they definitely won't play. Mm. They won't start the game. They'll just be on the bench or 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 just sitting down. They, the tournament's done really when you when you come to the third and fourth player places. It's um. Yeah, you're more looking for the, the first and second, aren't you? But I, I, I'd imagine that they'll play with their, their second string players. And who comes out on top in this one? I, I, you'd hope it wouldn't go to extra time and penalties. Just get it over and done with. Yeah, who comes out on top of this one? I'd have to say uh, the team that works their cotton socks off. Hmm. I think Morocco, Morocco have done so brilliantly well, but they just, they've run out of steam. They've run yeah. out of steam and, and, they, and they, haven't, they haven't gone over the top of the final hurdle. So I'm going for Croatia to win yeah. this game. I, I fancy Croatia. But it's going to be... I don't know who's going to score for, for both sides because they, they lack goals in both, both teams. We're very happy to support the lilywhitefoundation.com advancing young people through sport. For more information, visit lilywhitefoundation.com. You're listening to the Ultimate Football Show podcast with Gary Chivers. So thanks to Gary for joining us. My thanks to to Gus Ferguson and Peter Gleeson over in Qatar for joining us on this episode. They'll all be back, all three, for episode 23, the final episode of this Qatar World Cup as we look to the final, and it's a dream final really for football fans, as Argentina and Lionel Messi take on France with Kylian Mbappé and co in what should be a fascinating final. It comes up on Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon UK time. That's when the final is played. We'll be sending the podcast out before that for you to enjoy. So join us then if you can. We'll see you then.